Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I thirst. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Today you will be with me in paradise. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. These are the seven words of Jesus Christ from the cross, each with their own power, their own mystery and terror. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. In this Lent, we're going to be pondering these words, looking at one per week as we walk with Jesus and Christians around the world to the, to the cross on Good Friday in the empty tomb on Easter. This particular week, we're going to be looking at Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But first, I'll give a, a little bit of a background on why we're going to do these words and what my hope is during this Lenten podcast season. So without further ado, let's get pondered. who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over Jesus, This is the king of the Jews. One of the things I want to avoid doing in this podcast is to so analyze and break down these seven last words that they would lose their invitational, they're mysterious, they're um, beautiful resonance uh, with us. I want them to be words of prayer and, and of mercy for us. And so I'm going to sort of reflect again throughout the, the podcast on how these um, are prayerful and um, are many our prayers themselves and how they can invite us into prayer. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a really Lutheran house, but eventually I sort of made my way through life, and, and I at some point found myself in a very Roman Catholic environment, and I was really impressed when I started going to Roman Catholic churches that around the sanctuary there were the Stations of the Cross. And as Protestants, again, in a, in a culture that emphasized the proclamation of the Word, we focused on these words of Jesus, but the Roman Catholics were focusing on the, these 14 Stations of the Cross. And those 14 stations really draw one in to the community and to others who are accompanying Jesus. And, and the, it allows you to really sort of be with uh, Jesus in this. And, and my hope then is that these, um, this podcast can be some real time with Jesus and with others who have walked on this. And that it's not just sort of a, a disembodied propositional word from a dying theologian who happened to be named Jesus <laughs> but rather the, the living words of faith of Jesus and this, this historical event, this mystery then of the cross and an invitation to walk it and to walk with others who have gone before it uh, in prayer and in, in contemplation. The next thing that I want to do to be conscious of 
is that I'm continuing to uh, meet so many people, I'm like mid-40s, who uh, are my age, who are no longer part of a church, and they left the church at some point in the last, you know, two to three kind of decades. Uh, And they could be older, they could be younger than me, but uh, so many of my peers, right, maybe grew up in the church at some level, but this is not part of what they're doing in their adult life, and they're choosing not to raise their children like this. And I see this not only personally, but as a pastor, we have so many people coming to us. In my area, it's uh, typically not ex-Catholics, but it's it's people that grew up in conservative evangelical homes who, um, even though they may find themselves in many ways very evangelical in spirit or even more conservative, they uh, they just don't want that culture right now. And, and for a variety of reasons uh, for their family. And so um, I'm really conscious of the fact that for those of us that are, are Christians, even in the United States, there's, there's becoming more and more of a choice to be a Christian. And I think all of us are forced to answer the question, either directly or, or even sometimes directly, you know, why are you a Christian? Or why are you still a Christian? And this is a question that I'm going to ask you. Why are you a Christian? And uh, we're going to come back to that question throughout this podcast. And my hope is that the, the seven last words can be these um, articulations, these pictures, these mysteries, these, um, I don't know what the right word is, but that they can draw us in and give voice and they can resonate with us and, and help us sort of answer that question. Uh, why is it that, yes, indeed, I still am one who confesses Jesus as the, the Lord, the crucified and risen one? So that's kind of where we're going. And so now let's get on to the first word. And the first word we're going to go for is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And there are at least two things that are distinct, that are unusual about this word relative to the other um, to the others. And the first is that it is a repeated word. Not that you find it again and again in Luke's gospel, but that the Greek tense here, it's called the imperfect tense. It's kind of like our past progressive. Jesus was saying, but it's in the imperfect meaning it, it's ongoing. This is something that was said uh, maybe throughout his time on the cross, at least repeatedly in that moment. And so when the people are crying out to him, Lord, save yourself. Sorry, they're not saying Lord. You know, save yourself if you are the Lord, if you're the Messiah and so forth. Jesus may even at that point have been saying to them, saying to God, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This sort of becomes Jesus's mantra to almost control his breathing and to deal with the excruciating pain in in his body. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He just says it over and over and over. And this, uh, to me, suggests a couple of of directions for our own reflection and faith. Um, Christians tend to... um, especially after, well, the way that Protestantism progressed and, and so forth, uh, prayers often become um, something we sort of have to structure. But there's a lot of prayers that are more uh, free form. Um, 
not just freeform emotionally, but actually sort of use a mantra to um, get into sort of a spiritual groove, to say sort of a phrase or, uh, again, a prayer over and over. In fact, there's the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, uh, I am a sinner. And sort of just some sort of rep- repetitive prayer that just uh, allows us to kind of get into a zone of reflection, um, sort of a meditation with God. And so, um, you know, what is your what is your mantra? And there may be days when your mantra actually is, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Um, but it's kind of an invitation to those kind of prayers where we find ourselves uh, saying over and over uh, the same thing, perhaps coming back to a different kind of emphasis, uh, maybe even sort of a Taze song. This is a style of chanting that has these repeated prayers. So again, just a, an invitation to some sort of repetitive prayer. Um, but also, it's beautiful to think that um, Jesus is saying this repeatedly. And there's a way in which this could mean that Jesus is repeating it on the cross. But the way it's in the imperfect tense here, I almost wonder if Luke is poetically saying Jesus has always been and will always be saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that this has eternally, uh, once it began on the cross, been the, the incomplete prayer of Jesus that will only be made complete when, when Jesus comes again. Again, this always observing humans and our unending capacity to hurt and to harm each other, and and sure to be cruel to Jesus on the cross, but just um, to even taunt the person, you know, save yourself, you know, just again, the the human cruelty that's being witnessed here. And and Jesus is still again saying this, and and that I believe that this is what Jesus is always saying. Um, And not even to a God, to a Father who doesn't know this, or doesn't, who needs to be convinced of this, but just this word um, within the Godhead of they need mercy. They, they don't know what they are, they are doing. And this, for me, is a, a really big reason why um, I am a Christian, is, is so related to forgiveness. And as a pastor, I, every week, have a reason to be cynical about the hardness of the human heart. I learn of somebody who's cheated on their spouse or has been cheated on. I See somebody whose bad decisions have left them in a terrible uh, position. I find out somebody who is uh, succumbed to a various addiction. Um, the last two years, especially of, of both alcohol and pornography, um, I've also um, learned of people who were abused by others in their past. Um, you know, uh, just this. Well, recently uh, somebody came to me and acknowledged that somebody who's in our church, when they were younger, when this person was a younger person, this other now church member had been really mean to them um, in a way that they felt was abusive, not physically or sexually, but just sort of emotionally. And it was very tough for this person to see them in the church now, you know, kind of esteemed and, and doing good things. And And so again, my response was to this person, hey, I've seen people all the time, you know, do bad things. And this doesn't surprise me. But, but I also said, you know, I also, though, see again and again, 
where there's mercy shown to somebody. And somebody goes through something. And it could be a person comes into their life. It could be something bad happens. It could be something so wonderful happens. Um, but they, they suddenly, they get it. And, and their eyes and their hearts are open to, to other people in, in a beautiful way. And they more deeply realize that what they have is meant to be shared and, and given to the world. And it's so beautiful to see that. And what I realize is that I don't think it's actually very much in the human nature to forgive. I think as humans, we, we really want there to sort of be a quid pro quo. Um, we sort of want a, a price for, for our readmission uh, into the circle of trust, some sort of restitution to be made for, for communal life. We need accountability to sort of structure our lives together. And forgiveness, in, in many ways, erodes at accountability. Um, so, so I think as humans, we really have trouble with forgiveness, yet what I've seen in these people's lives is there's been some quanta of mercy, some movement in their life that has uh, allowed them to move forward. And so I'm, I'm a Christian because I have seen that forgiveness is on the loose in the world. And it continues to do things and to show up. And, and where does this forgiveness come from? I don't believe that it comes from the human heart uh, by itself. I think it's really this sort of this prayer of Jesus being answered that God continues to have mercy and forgiveness. And somehow, again, this works itself out in our lives. So for me, this word of the cross gets so at the heart of, of why I uh, continue to believe and confess Jesus as Lord um, is is because I've seen uh, this prayer being answered as as forgiveness does its its thing over and over. The other thing that's so curious about this particular word that is different than the others is it may not have been in the original that the gospel writer wrote. That's right. The words "Father, forgive them; they know not what they do" may not have been in the original copy of the gospel that Luke wrote. So the way that we have our Bible is that there is, uh, for those of us who read in English, we read a translation, but the question is, what are they translating? Well, it turns out that there's not simply one copy of the Bible that we have. There are many, and there are actually hundreds of thousands of manuscripts around the Mediterranean that were preserved, often in those arid climates there, and some of that paper survived. And so we, for instance, have papyrus or papyri sheets, often of which are only a handful of verses, uh, just sort of, again, fragments of stuff already from like 150 A.D. There's also, starting after 300, um, there's actually kind of books that they started to pull together the whole Bible, and then there's also letters that early church leaders wrote to one another that they're citing scripture. Um, there's also translations into other languages that are super old. And so like that suggests that early on, this is what it looked like. There's also church lectionaries and sort of church hymnals, basically, that had readings in them. And you add all this up and you have this multi-layered sort of, um, uh, of history of all of these passages. And so it's, it's actually a scientific study to figure out what was in, is our best guess, in the original manuscript. And about once every hundred years, a new manuscript is discovered, 
and that changes some of what we thought. And in the case of this passage here, it turns out that some of our best manuscripts are actually not simply divided among themselves. And this is actually pretty common where some of these early manuscripts won't fully match up. And sometimes it's literally just a letter on the end of the word that a scribe would have dropped. Sometimes it's where they start to make Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of match up. There's, there's all sorts of ways in which scholars or scribes late at night, you know, were, were probably not even intentionally, just sort of, you know, messing things up a little bit. Um, and, and generally just as sort of, there are so many copies. Like, you know, there's only like, say, four or five copies of Plato's Republic in the ancient world. You know, the Bible, our, our problem is just that we have so many trying to figure out among all these literally thousands of copies of Scripture, what was the original, what's the oldest, and, and what best reflects actually what Jesus said. But again, in this particular case of this verse, it turns out that there are a number of significant manuscripts that include it and a number of significant manuscripts that don't. And even those that, that have and don't have it there are editings within them. So on these ancient, like literally 1,700-year-old pieces of paper, there are, edit there are literally monks who were changing what the previous one had written, crossing it out, writing it back in, crossing it out, writing it back in. And so this verse has, has sort of been on the margins where some people felt that intellectually it wasn't in the original, but emotionally, everybody who's ever heard this has said, that is what Jesus, that's Jesus. Like, that has to be the words of him. And again, there's some other kind of analysis you can do in terms of um, that they'll do thinking about how this reflects itself in the book of Acts or other places in Luke. And there's all sorts of things they can do. But fundamentally, uh, this verse is one that right from the beginning, people wondered, was this in the original version of Luke? But sort of what has never been a question then, is this true to the sayings of Jesus? And then we'd say, yes, the Lord is eternally praying for forgiveness for us. Okay, so what does this do for us? Well, on the one hand, it robs us really of an easy fundamentalism. And, you know, a lot of people are like, I'll leave my Bible literally. Well, I don't even want to say like which translation, which becomes this obsession in certain circles. I'd want to say, um, you know, which Greek are you using? Uh, and in fact, the NIV and NRSV, two major translations in the 80s and 90s, actually differed in, in some places. In the Greek, they used underneath. They came to different conclusions. Well, fundamentalists really want to avoid this whole trap. And so what they do is they say, well, there is one manuscript they call Textus Receptus, and it is the received text. And this is the one that, that is the original. And, uh, in one of the most delicious and beautiful ironies, um, it is housed in the Vatican. And I find that so ironic because so often so many people who are sort of Christian fundamentalists tend to despise the Roman Catholic Church and view it as this sort of aberration. Yet the manuscript they want to say is the fountain for sort of all of this translation work is actually located in the Vatican Library. So I just, I just love that. Um, so it kind of bursts the bubble on an easy fundamentalism. But it also, I think to me, I don't, um, I got freaked out about this the first time I learned that this was actually the way the Bible worked. But now I see, look, You've got people here all across the Mediterranean. And 
they knew that somehow when they got a copy of a letter of Paul or a gospel, that it was something unusual and that it was needed to be preserved. Again, copies of Plato's Republic, just four or five in the ancient world. But this was something that like people were, were sharing and, and when they got a copy, but they didn't want to lose it. It was precious and it was holy. And, uh, and, and so here they are trying then to make copies of it and pass it on to others. And it turns out that they made all sorts of mistakes along the way. And some of those were just, you know, probably late night, you know, sloppy. And some of them were, well, I, I think that that's what Jesus really must have said. And others of them were, I don't like that word there. But they, they, they kept it. And to me, it's this beautiful testament to how many people in this unorganized bunch of people, the first three to 400 years, um, there's not some, you know, super hierarchical, powerful source. There's just these communities across the Mediterranean that are passing on this hope, this belief in a God of mercy and love and in this brutal pagan world. And um, it's just so cool that, again, all these people did it. And it gives me a sort of a breath of mercy to know that I'm going to try to pass on the faith. And I don't know, I might cross out the wrong things and I might write some things in the margins <laughs> that maybe I shouldn't, but that, but that God will, will be okay with that and, and things will keep kind of moving along, corrected over time. And so whether or not Luke included, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do in the original, the church believes and confesses, those are the words of Jesus eternally from the cross and for us and for this world. So hopefully that's enough to ponder for you as we kick off a new series here reflecting on the seven last words.